And we're just glad to have uh, Bailey here this morning. And I'm going to let her introduce herself because I'll probably make a mistake or say something wrong. So thanks for being here, Bailey. Blessings on you. Thank you for having me. Um, like Aaron said, my name is Bailey Sarver. I am actually a native of Iowa, and I am a fourth-year Calvin Seminary student, so I'll be graduating in May and um, be seeking candidacy. Well, I've been approved for candidacy, so as of June, I'll be a candidate for ministry in the Christian Reformed Church, and I'm just really excited to be here with you all. Um, so thank you very much for having me. Before we get to scripture, I uh, would like to first pray and ask that the Spirit be here and present and guiding in this time. So will you pray with me, please? Good and gracious God, Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as we read your word and study your scripture, we may hear with joy what it is that you want to say to us today. Amen. So our scripture reading for this morning is from the New Testament, from the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 30. Um, the, the version I will be using will be on the screen, or should be on the screen. It's from the NRSV, um, but the NIV or any other version is fine as well. So Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. Then someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Also, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, I've kept all these, but what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you wish to be perfect, go, sell your possessions, and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this word, He went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astounded and said, Then who can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals, it is impossible. But for God, all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, Look, we have left everything and followed you. What then then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man is seated, sorry, when the Son of Man is seated, On the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or field for my namesake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. 
the word of the Lord. As I was preparing to write this sermon, I couldn't help but reflect on one of my favorite springtime events. In the spring, many botanical gardens advertise butterflies. Young people, old, or many people, young and old, flock to these gardens to see the majestic insects flutter around and display their colors. After long, bleak winter months, the warm air of the gardens, the beauty of the butterflies, and the vibrant plants are a welcome and life-giving sight. One room, however, typically unnerves me. It's the caterpillar room. Butterflies are beautiful and elegant. Caterpillars, not as much. The room is filled with butterfly milkweed that's been munched on and plexiglass boxes with cocoons. Naturally, these boxes often have tiny human fingerprints and face, face prints on them as children strain to see butterflies emerging from their chrysalis. The process of a caterpillar becoming a butterfly, metamorphosis, has to be one of the least glamorous processes in all of nature. The sole job of a caterpillar is to eat and eat and eat. Caterpillars eat so fast or, and so much that they grow really quickly, shedding their skin four to five times before they enter into the cocoon phase. When the eating phase is over, the butterfly becomes what they call a chrysalis. This phase can last for a week to several months and up to two years. During the cocoon phase, from the outside, it appears as though nothing is happening. But on the inside, big things are taking place. New cells are being formed and shaped, and a brand new butterfly is being assembled. When the process is complete, the chrysalis begins to split, and a butterfly begins to emerge, stretching and drying its new wings before it takes flight. One thing that the butterfly does not do is keep its tiny cocoon home. It sheds the old life in caterpillary ways to become a butterfly, to become what it was created to be. It enjoys a greater freedom and more vibrant and flourishing life than before. In our passage today, we learn about a young man who's wrapped in a cocoon of sorts, wrapped up and bound by his earthly wealth and prosperity, trapped by his possessions and social standings, unable to face himself or to answer the call of Christ. You see, contrary to popular belief, the opposite of wealthy isn't poor. It's free. Let's go back to the biblical narrative a bit and repaint, this, repaint the picture. While standing in the hot, beating sun, a young man approaches a large crowd that's been gathered around a great teacher. He gracefully strides towards the group with great poise and authority. The searing sun makes the colors of his robe radiate. His garments are clean and sharp-looking. The gold chain that dangles around his neck glimmers in the sunlight. He is clearly a man of great wealth and high standing. As he approaches, the crowd begins to split and makes a path for him. The young man confidently strides to the front, 
looks Jesus Christ straight in the face and inquires with great gusto, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Jesus initially looks a little bit caught off guard, but then looks at the young man with piercing eye contact and says, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you want to enter eternal life, obey the commandments. Muffled murmurs sweep across the crowd, but the young man dares to push back, to push it further, the nerve. Which ones? He calmly and confidently inquires. Jesus doesn't bat an eye as he begins to list off some of the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. There, that should satisfy him for a while. Give him enough to think about. The disciples stand behind Jesus, look content. Again, the man dares to come back, unsatisfied with what Jesus has said. Uh, yeah, about that. I've been pretty good. I've kept them all. So what could I possibly be lacking? Calmly, steadily, and compassionately, Jesus tells him, if you want to be perfect, go. Sell your possessions and give them to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven. Jesus leaves a large, lingering pause, then adds the greatest invitation. Come, follow me. Jesus' words silence the crowd. Shock, awe, and bewilderment sweep across their faces. The young man turns back in great disappointment as he departs, head hung and shoulders slumped. The crowd was absolutely stunned. How could Jesus reject such a fine young man? The young man was so bound by his worldly possessions that he couldn't imagine a life without them, even if it meant a life with Jesus. He was enslaved by what he had. Interestingly, this is the only text in all of the Gospels in which Jesus' command to follow him was refused. Men left their livelihoods, dropped their nets, neglected their boats, abandoned their tables, all just to follow Jesus, to be redefined and entered into a new way of life. But this young man couldn't. He wouldn't. Who he was was what he had. Jesus' instructions are an attempt to move the young man from a marketplace to a road. From getting to doing, from attaining to being, Jesus was inviting him to redefine his identity from wealthy, cultured, educated, and powerful to one radically different word, free. But the man's mindset and his passions kept him from receiving the call of Christ. His master was what he owned. His questions and desire to follow Jesus were absolutely sincere. However, his love for his wealth and the identity that it gave him was deeper and more powerful. It weighed him down. Jesus' words are rich instructions for a rich man. This young man was so attached to what he has 
but even a direct address from Jesus Christ, the Son of God, can't urge him enough to unburden himself from his wealth. Jesus desperately wants the young man. He wants him to close his accounts on earth so he can open a new one in heaven. So the treasure that he has is drawing interest inside of the gates instead of keeping him out. We are often consumed by the identities and burdens of this world. Simon is one of the wonderful people that I met a few years ago during my summer internship at a church in Texas. Growing up, Simon was a well-loved member of a local congregation. He knew that his identity should belong to Christ, but that wasn't wasn't where he found his satisfaction and affirmation. Simon craved the attention and admiration of others. As a kid, this meant he was the class clown, always keeping his classmates in stitches and his teacher on their toes. As he grew up, the constant need to always be funny and charming became more daunting, and he realized that When he was high, people laughed at him more. Unfortunately, his habits and addictions spiraled out of control. One of his lowest points was when his mother was passing away from cancer, and he was stealing her pain medication. All to get laughs, all for the sake of gaining others' approval and to feel valuable. After Simon's mom passed away, he hit rock bottom. He began, he was so full of remorse and regret that he began to drown his sorrows in more substances. And by 22, he was a full-fledged addict. He was unable to get through the day without the reliance on some sort of substance. His identity was no longer Simon, freed and flourishing child of God, but Simon, bound and attention-seeking, self-medicating addict. He was bound by what he wanted unable to live the flourishing life that God had planned for him. Enslavement comes in a variety of forms. It can be others' approval, needing to have the best grades, knowing important people, our appearances, the friends we hang out with, and like the rich young man, it can even be wealth and prosperity. We live in a culture that's constantly consumed with comparing and achieving. We don't feel good enough about ourselves unless we have earned something that we're proud of. Our identities are enslaved by what we have and who we perceive ourselves to be. Like the rich young man, we want to do more, we want to earn more on our own, and we want others to love and admire us for what we have. We often make excuses for this passage. We want to get off the hook in any way possible. Maybe the camel is a type of rope. It'd be hard to get rope through a needle. Or maybe the eye of a needle is a type of gate. This tricky camel didn't want to go through the gate. Uh, However, neither of those suggestions are likely. Jesus is intentional with his words, and he means what he says. Then we want to make it exclusively about the wealthy. I'm poor, so clearly I have a better chance of getting into heaven. Um, That's not likely either. If this passage was exclusively about wealth, uh, Christ would not be suggesting that he sell his goods and give his money to the poor. So we're completely still on the hook. This This passage is about not being free to follow the call of Christ and be used by Christ. It's about the dangers of finding our identity in things that enslave our desires. 
And friends, by these standards, we live in a pretty enslaved culture. Let's dive back to the Matthew passage. If you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come follow me. There are unified gasps, whisper of shock and concern rumbling amongst the disciples and the crowd. One person pipes up. Jesus, if this exemplary exemplary rich young man can't be saved, who can? Jesus thoughtfully remarks, with people, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Naturally, Peter chimes in. Look, Jesus, here's the deal. We've left everything and followed you. So what's in it for us? It was as if Jesus was waiting for this question from Peter. He knew it wouldn't be long before Peter would open his mouth. Jesus lovingly responded, Truly at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on the glorious throne, you who have followed me will sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. The disciples perk up, a glimmer in their eyes. This sounds promising. Jesus goes on. And everyone who has left houses or family or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Jesus' words hung in the thick, humid air. Blank stares filled faces of the disciples as they processed what had just been said. Whoever sheds what they have and their identity attachment will receive so much more. This humbled the disciples. It's not about what they had done, but about the power of God and what he was doing both in and through them. This passage is often looked at as a hopelessly daunting task, but what it really is is a great invitation to transformation. It's an invitation for the young man to let go of what he has on earth, to free himself of his wealth and earthly commitments so he can focus on what Christ is putting before him. What the rich young man lacks is actually what he has. It's weighing him down. Follow me is not simply another law for this young man to keep. It's an invitation. It's an invitation into another countercultural way of life, transformed by Christ. He's called to sell his possessions, to become vulnerable and agile, so that through him, God can work and do great things. Jesus contradicted a dominant Jewish teaching of the day that great faithfulness is rewarded with great prosperity and wealth. The disciples clearly believed that the wealthy had a greater hope for inheriting the kingdom of heaven. So when this young man was uh, turned away, they were really shocked. But they, so they desperately wanted him to wel- wanted to welcome him into their fellowship. If the rich young man could walk away discouraged, then what hope was there for the rest of them? 
But this portion of the text once again shows that where human understanding fails, God is sufficient and sovereign. Jesus responds carefully. He lovingly educates his disciples and tells them that their reward and their treasure lies in heaven, that they will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Their transformed lives and of lightness, agility, and freedom have made them able to enter into his service and into his kingdom. This text, once again, not only lists a freedom for, but point from, but points to a freedom for. Jesus reminds us, reminds them that their identity isn't in their possessions, their previous vocations, or even in their families. It's in him. Jesus is encouraging the listener to become free and light, to be able to flourish like the butterflies referenced earlier. God's grace through metamorphosis has freed the butterfly from its old caterpillary identity and transformed it for his glorious purpose. A butterfly cannot accomplish this task from within the safety of its cocoon or by trying to carry the cocoon along with it. It must shed its old self and what it has known to embrace its newfound lightness and be transformed into what it was made to be. Simon came back to church when his father dragged him there, kicking and screaming. After the service one Sunday, Simon and his dad approached the pastor, and his father started in. This is my son. He needs Jesus. Please get him as involved in your church as possible. The process has been slow and painstaking. Simon's first couple of years at the church were met with unmet expectations and disappointment. But I was able to be there when he was able to celebrate a a whole year of sobriety. And not only is he sober, he leads worship and small group and is hoping to enroll in seminary in the next couple years. Simon's beginning to flourish and to recognize and embrace his identity that's found in Christ and Christ alone. He has been freed from his former enslavement and the need for constant social approval. The grace of God has moved powerfully in his life, and he has been able to receive the invitation from Jesus to join in his service. This is still an everyday battle for Simon. After all, he is still human, but he attends meetings, he meets with small group, and checks in with his pastor. And while he's fighting his, pre- his past, his present and future are flourishing. He's able to serve and love at a level that he's never experienced before. He's unburdened from the load he carried around for so long and for all those years. But now he finally sees himself for what he's meant to be, a beloved child of God. He hasn't done this alone. The grace of God continues to work in his life. It urges him to strive to live better, transformed by the love of Christ. God also uses the body of believers to walk alongside him through this process. Through the work of the Spirit, he's learned to be re-identified. He's shed his former identity, which was burdened by past mistakes and the expectations and standards of others, and now finds it in whom God has called him to be a cherished and loved 
child of the kingdom. Jesus invites us to be transformed, to shed our attachment and the things that have enslaved us. He invites us to move from a marketplace of consuming to a road of being, from having to belonging. Christ calls, follow me, to everyone here, no matter what your past or present may be. With people, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Through the work of the Spirit in our lives, we're able to respond to this invitation. God makes it possible to be radically redefined. He gives us, gives us the opportunity to be unbridled from our burdens and our expectations. The Spirit moves us from all things that have burdened and identified us in the past and enables us to find our identities and freedom in Jesus Christ. Jesus offers us something to be, not just something to have or something to do. He invites us to transfer our earthly investments, whatever they may be, possessions, achievements, appearance, social standings, and to invest them in him and his kingdom. And because of his grace, we are able to respond. We respond to being free and being able to serve. Christ and our brothers and sisters in Christ walk alongside us in this process, in this path to becoming, flourishing, and serving. The Spirit urges us to shed our old skin and to be reoriented, to be transformed, to become a new creation, and to find our identity solely in our great and glorious God. Please pray with me. Lord God, thank you for your love and for your grace. We know we turn away from you and often seek out the ways of our culture before we seek you. But thank you for placing a call on our lives and giving us a new identity to live into. Help us to respond. Thank you for these people, the community that is shared here, and the mission that is lived out. Lord, help the village church to continue to flourish and to serve. Help us to love and serve you well by loving and serving those around us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.